0: HVAC 360 is brought to you today by Bright Idea Products. Just listen in as one of our customers sums up our new and innovative product. Uh, You know, as a professional engineer doing field surveys, it is all about being able to see, and oftentimes I just can't get enough light from a standard flashlight. That's why I switched to the Ultra Torch. What is the Ultra Torch, you ask? Nothing more than a 10 million lumen flashlight powered by plutonium batteries. Does your flashlight have an X ray setting? Ours does. Can yours see around corners? That all comes standard with the Ultra Torch. It even starts fires, cooks food, and wards off bears. With features like that, you can see why each purchase does require a background check, so show up early and leave happy with the Ultra Torch. Plutonium batteries sold separately. (laughs) Hey, what's up? Welcome back. Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. How do we do that? We do that by sharing lessons learned from, from the field and talking with industry experts. But we don't stop there. I want to encourage each one of you to double down on your weekly dose of HVAC knowledge by hopping on over to HVAC360.com and joining my growing community of people just like you. Alright, so what's up for this week? This week we are talking with Brian Courtney, the CEO of LifeWare, that's spelled W-H-E-R-E. And this is a product that is geared towards the residential market. Now, I focus this podcast on the commercial, commercial-industrial, that sort of thing. But, you know, this was a interesting um, actual product that y- you really can see the short jump it would take. From residential to light commercial, and then going into commercial, it's you know it's all about um, you know showing you kind of what's new in the industry and how things are changing so rapidly. Uh, so I really do think it's a, it's a good listen, and you'll learn a lot, and um, it'll you know really kind of open your eyes into what they're doing or what you can do uh, with this product. So without further delay, let's just cut to the tape. All right, today we're talking with Brian Courtney, who is the CEO of LifeWare. How are you doing today, Brian?
1: Excellent. Thank you for having me, Matt.
0: Not a problem. Hey, you know, can you tell me a little bit about, I mean, obviously Lifewear is a is a relatively newer product that people might not be familiar with. Can you tell me a little bit about how it came about and uh, kind of mix in a little bit of your background?
1: Yeah, sure. So I used to run the analytics business for General Electric. And in running the analytics business, we, w- we would sell products um, as a product and the products as a solution or as a service. And what that means is well, we, would, we would sell analytic tools to companies, but we would also monitor assets for customers and help them create predictive the maintenance plans. So when you monitor a jet engine, for example, everybody is pretty much universally agreed that it's better to figure out that it's broken when it's on the ground than when it's in the air. And so we would do a lot of analysis once the plane landed to make sure that the plane was safe to take off. And, um, and in doing that, I was traveling uh, one day. I was actually in China. And um, I got a call from my wife that the sub pump in the basement had failed. That was the 100-year storm in Chicago. And uh, we got three inches of water, which turned out to be about $26,000 in damage. The 120. Um, and it kind of dawned on me that, geez, you know, I monitor pumps every day if I could monitor that sub pump, I would have known that it was breaking or broken. And for 300 bucks, I could have solved that problem. And instead, I got the joy of spending $26,000 to make my basement look exactly the way it was before. And um, so that, that really started the spark. Now, what was interesting was, you know, the, the, the main reason why we weren't doing commercial or even residential is just price point. When you monitor a gen engine, you can spend $30,000 for the IoT. Nobody's going to spend that kind of money in their house. But I ended up doing an interesting project um, where we monitored cows, of all things. We would monitor the input and the output of a cow. You would monitor how much time it was at a feeding station and how much weight it weighed each day. And from that, we were able to figure out when a cow was sick three days before it would show signs of being ill. And what that just meant was you could separate cows uh, from the herds, that they didn't make the herd sick. Therefore, you needed less drugs to treat the whole herd. They could sell the meat as a premium because it used less antibiotics, saved the drug companies 98% of their cost, and the cows gained 25% more weight because the sick ones didn't infect the herd. So just everybody made money on that. And we were able to do that $2 per cow. Why? Because there's a billion cows and $2 bucks every nine, uh, two a month, and you replace them every nine months, because that's the life expectancy of a cow. There's a huge amount of money there and that opened my eyes that hey we can get the cost of IoT down to the right price point and we should be able to get this into the home and why can't I go after this market why can't I solve this problem and uh, and that's how life we're started
0: so i mean obviously it's 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 pretty well known that that the Internet of Things. Things are getting cheaper. Sensors are getting cheaper. Everything's getting cheaper. It's just a matter of applying them in a way that that not only makes sense but is easy. And I think that that's where the lifewear product really came into the residential market. It it just it was easy. Um, and I think that's that's a lot when we you know we talk commercially. Um, I think that's where some people are missing the boat. It's you can do it, but it's not easy and it's not cheap. And and that's where that's where you've you've come in. So I guess, obviously, you've talked about the sump pump. What, what other, I mean, what problems are you trying to solve for your customers?
1: Yeah, our, our intention is to be able to monitor your, your home, everything in the home that plugs in that's electromechanical. Um, and we, you know, we kind of lump that into the health of home as opposed to home health, right? So health of home is, hey, you've spent X dollars on your house and it's the most expensive thing you're likely ever to buy in your entire life. And you know almost nothing about how to maintain it. You know, almost nothing about what the systems are in the house. They give you tempered air, they give you air quality, that get you water where you want it, they get you heated water when you want it hot. And and just the average person doesn't know any of this, right? And so what we're trying to do is, is build a way for um, homeowners to be able to learn better so they can take better action, to eliminate surprises so that they don't, so they can plan and so that they don't just come home to a disaster. And we're trying to do that in a way that's trivial to use for the services guys. We kind of get that, you know, service tech knows an awful lot about how a furnace or an air conditioner, uh, um, how they work right now. The, the challenge you have there though, is some of those guys have okay technology skills, but you know, connecting IOT, plugging it to the cloud, doing analytics, communicating, collaborating with customers via mobile apps. Trying to plug that together, piece that together with your own solution, that's not their skill set. So what we tried to do with LifeWare was to create a platform that's an end-to-end solve, that's trivial to use, that you just plug in, right? And and it's that simple. Our, our device, we call it a life Pulse, allows you to plug in sensors. We originally had them wired, but what we noticed was it takes a long time even to do simple wiring. So we, we uh, converted all of our sensors to have headphone jacks, and you just plug it in like a headphone. All right, and it takes about 30 seconds to do an installation. One device can monitor up to four assets depending upon proximity. And you can have as many of our devices uh, in, a, in a location as you want. And then it sends data to the cloud automatically. It piggybacks off of the local Wi-Fi so there's no added cellular costs. Um, it sends that data to the cloud. We do all the initial analysis. We do all the analytics. We, we create alerts. So the system automatically alerts when it says, hey, this data isn't normal. And then it buckets it and says, this is abnormal and it's a reoccurring problem, but not a disastrous problem. So something to be uh, aware of, or this is a precursor to a failure type, or this is a failure, right? And it allows the, our, our customers, the, the contractors, to say they agree or disagree. And if they agree, it pushes information to a mobile application that they've given to their customer that says, you know if it's a warning, it shows up in the app as an in-app warning, and if it's a failure, it'll show up as a text message that says, hey, your, your equipment has failed and it needs repair. You know, hit this button to contact us so we can schedule a repair. And so by making that as simple to use and as simple to consume as possible, people can just use the system instead of having to think about how to design it or how to
0: fit it. So what appliances are you targeting with uh, your current solution?
1: Yeah, our, our intention is to do everything in the home. Um, right now we've started with heating and cooling systems. Um, they're the most expensive assets in most people's houses. You know, it, we did some analysis and it's really kind of interesting. Um, when you add up the cost of a furnace, the replacement of a furnace, you know, the heating bills, the electric bills, you know, the, the maintenance that you do and you add in the air conditioner, do the same. You know, it's about $45,000 to run a furnace and air conditioner and to buy it for, for a 15 year window. You know, the average life expectancy of a unit. Most people don't think of, hey, the, just keep temperate air in my house is the same price as owning a fairly nice car. So so we decided that we would start with uh, heating and cooling simply because of the cost of the asset. You know, the goal is to eliminate this notion of your furnace broke when you're not at home and you get frozen pipes. It's to eliminate this notion that hey, you live in the south and your air conditioning went out and by the time you figured out and you know, got home from a vacation that all the mold on the wall is because your AC is out. Um, our goal is also, as we get cost out, to, to do additional assets. So we have models that already work for pumps, so sub-pumps, well pumps, ejection pumps. Um, we are, we're doing pilots right now for hot water tanks. Um, we will add additional sensors for acoustics, um, to, in order to be able to detect, um, micro cracks within the tank. Um, and, and our goal is to, to continue to expand that into attic fans, into pool equipment, jacuzzis, and hot tubs. Basically, any electromechanical component in the house.
0: Now, what? Obviously, you, you've talked about the you know the plug-and-play sensors. What are you sensing? I mean, obviously, it's it's not a building automation control. You're not uh, monitoring you know binary inputs and outputs of, of a system like that. So, what what are you looking at specifically?
1: Yeah, so we look at a couple of things based on the different kind of assets that we look at. So for a furnace, we look at uh, current, real power, reactive power. Um, we also look at temperature. Um, with an air conditioner, we do the same, but we also look at ambient, outside temperature, solar index, and humidity index. And and from that, what we're able to do is create a model. This system creates a model for each and every component, uh, or each and every system. So you know, it'll, it'll, for a furnace, it'll create a furnace model. And it'll say, hey, for the outside heat and temperature, you know, this is what your system normally, how often your system normally runs. And then we look at all the data for every run. And what we do is we segment it. We look at, okay, well, you know, when does the induction motor start? You know, what, when does the igniter start? You know, when, when does the gas valve turn on? And blower delay, does it stay, does it stay lit? Does it go off? And when the blower start, I want to blow a run for, and then we look for a normal shutdown sequence. As we segment those and we identify the different stages of the run, we then analyze each stage independently and we say, hey, for, for the igniter, you know, is this a good ignition? Is there any early signs that the igniter is starting to go? And, you know, like many systems, you'll see two, three, four ignitions when a uh, igniter is starting to fail, right? And, easy to see, okay, all of a sudden, hey, there's two ignitions, right? We've got a problem with the igniter and that eventually it's going to go, right? So you get early warnings that way. Um, with uh, air conditioners, we, we have to take into account solar I- information, you know, how hot, how humid, how sunny. And that tells us how long we think it should run and um, and how the compressor works. And what's interesting is, is that uh, we're able to detect you know, primary failures, you know, from just looking at the things that we look at, but we're also able to infer problems. Um, so, for example, we don't um, monitor freon or refrigerant within an air conditioning system, but we can detect when you don't have enough refrigerant. And it's really by its use pattern, right? Um, we don't have sensors for, um, uh, for pressure switches inside of a furnace, but we can detect when a pressure switch fails because in the sequence of operation, it becomes you know, identifiable that at this point, that's what's going on when it stops working. So so we're actually able to help pinpoint then for our service partners um, exactly where in the system and the sequence of operations that it's stopping and how to fix it. Now, for additional equipment, like for a hot water tank, right, we're adding acoustics so we can listen to inside the tank to see if we can hear sediment pinging off the sides, which is what causes microcracks. Um, in a uh, sub pump, we monitor the height of the water in the pit with a water height uh, sensor, and that allows us to say that hey, the water is rising and the f-, you know your pump is not keeping up. So you know, early signs of uh, clogging or problems with the pump can also show us that hey, the uh, the rocker switch is broken because the water height is high enough that the unit you know, should be on and it's not. Um, and then from that, you know, we're able to do a uh, different analysis.
0: So I, I think that, you know, I mean, it's, it's in, important to know that, um, you know, if you, you do a sampling, you, you know, your sensors are doing a sampling. They're aggregating that data and they're sending it up to the cloud, right?
1: Yes, we, we sample data from the equipment 15 times a second. We figure out uh, using different algorithms what value per second to keep. And then we send 60 samples a, a minute to the cloud every minute.
0: And the fact that it's not necessarily, you know, I guess your database, your your experience um, is, uh, you know, based on, you know, real information. You're, you're able to kind of – it's not that you know that, you know, you don't get a direct signal that, hey, there's a failure. It's the fact that you've studied and analyzed what the patterns of these uh, this existing equipment um, looks like to be able to say, hey, you know what – in you know all the cases when we see this, it's going to be this problem. Is that right?
1: That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So from my experience in the industrial side, when we would do um, you know a pumps that would be inside, or a sludge pump inside of a wastewater treatment right with that pump, but you want to be able to detect uh, a clog from the bottom or a clog from the top because the solution would be different, right? And it turns out that you know if you look at enough data, you realize hey, when a, when a pump clogs on the bottom. Right? It doesn't, um, it works harder and harder, sorry, it, it can free spin, right? It doesn't have any material to push. And so as it free spins, current drops. Whereas if the clog is on top, it's pushing really hard and harder and harder to clear the clog, which causes the amperage to spike. And so by looking at the data and understanding the data, we're able to say, hey, that's, that's a pump and the pump is clogged in the bottom or hey, that's a pump and the pump clogged in the top. We do the same kind of thing with a furnace with an air conditioner, right? So based on the signature from the data, we can either directly tell you what's broken or we can infer what is. And then what the system does is it allows the contractors to say that this is definitely a problem. So they can mark it as it's yes, it's a problem or no, it really isn't so that we can refine the analytics. And then if it is a problem and they fix it, they tell us what they did to further repair. And then we keep track of that. And that way we can go back to them and say, Hey, you know, 98% of the time when we see this exact signature, we know that the induction motor needs to be replaced. Like 2% of the time, you know, pressure switches off. And that gives their technicians the ability to get in with high confidence and get to a repair faster.
0: So I, I, when you're applying this solution to a a residential customer, is are there times when you're like, you know what? Um you know, your are whether you, know, maybe you have a, you know, geothermal heat pump, maybe that doesn't necessarily apply. Are there, are there different products that you're like, you know, we'd like to be able to help you, but we don't have a big enough sample size to be able to tell you exactly what's, what's wrong. Um, so are there certain uh, places where this is a good fit and, sp- and certain places where this is not such a good fit? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. So, you know, our goal is to do everything. Right, and so the the notion that we tell uh, we sell direct to uh, contractors who then sell to uh, homeowners, and what we tell them is that there's two different value props. The first value prop is, hey, we're going to monitor it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and failures are obvious. Right, so when it fails, we can see the data and it, know it failed, and we can notify you probably a lot faster than you can figure it out for yourself. Right, and so your contractor who understands this. We get a notification that says, hey, we think the system has failed. We'll go look at that data and say, absolutely. And then contact the, the homeowner well before they would have figured it out on their own. Right? And that can s- solve problems for them because of the ancillary damage or for not knowing that something is broken that's going to be needed later. Um, so um, the, the second value prop is, hey, we analyze that and we tell the contractor exactly what broke, how it broke, and why it broke. Right. And that gives them uh, a lot of benefit because they can repair it faster because they can get more first time repairs. Right. If you don't have to do a diagnostic step and a run for part, you can save a lot of time on every job. It also gives contractors the ability to get better scale because, you know, finding an HVAC technician that can walk into any environment and diagnose any piece of equipment site unseen, that's a, that's a, it's a rare skill set and you pay a premium for that. And, and we, we will always need those guys, right? But what we really want to do when we scale the business is we want to be able to say, hey, these 15 homes today I know are just an igniter. I want to train somebody to do ignition systems and just send them out and say, hey, fix the ignition system. And that's all they'll need to know. They won't need to know how to debug everything else. And so that gives you the ability to train a workforce that can become more specialized. It can also allow you to take your best and brightest technicians and have them look at the data for all customers and help you get to resolution faster.
0: So I guess uh, ultimately you've, you've talked about incorporating this into the, um, you know, the service contractors kind of tool, you know, toolbox. So, but obviously there's one uh, cost for installing the piece of equipment and then there's probably another cost for monitoring it. So, how does this? Uh, I guess how does this get paid for? I mean, does it does the customer pay it directly for the monitoring? Does it is it something that they pay to the the uh, the contractor for a uh, a fee? How does that usually you know work out?
1: Yeah, so we, we, we see two different models there. To be quite frank, the the first is the easiest to get your your brain wrapped around is just that you know yes it gets sold by the contractor to the consumer. So rather than selling a maintenance plan that says hey every you know. Bring and every fall, independent of whether the equipment has been run and needs it or not, I'm going to come out and do maintenance on it. Now, of course, it's going to need some maintenance, right? But it's time-bound, not condition-bound. If you think back to how we used to service cars, we used to bring our car in on an exact number of miles, or we would change the oil on an exact amount of time. It had nothing to do with the condition of a car. If you didn't drive the car, you know you're still was supposed to get a tune-up for change in oil. Or if you drove the car a lot you know, but all highway miles where you, you really need to tune up as often as if you're driving in the city, all right? So I think cars became a lot more intelligent. They start to tell us, hey, it needs service. And what our solution does is it starts to say, hey, we from, can I identify the condition of the equipment and let them know when it's time to get the repair. And I'll give you an example. Um, if, if we see a problem, an intermittent issue. Uh, failure to ignite. So the, the flame sensor is uh, carbonized and it can't, it can't detect flame, right? And that fires once every month, right? There's z- almost zero cost to the consumer and the homeowner. Does it need to be fixed? Could it be fixed? Should it be fixed? Oh, well, yeah. But is there any real cost? No. So is the cost to clean it warranted at this point? Well, no. But now that starts happening two, three, four, ten times a day if 20, 30, 40% of every furnace run fails because it can't detect flame, that means you're paying a lot of electricity for very little heat. And now there's a positive ROI that says, hey, we're way beyond that point. You're losing money by not repairing it. And for the first time, what we can actually do then is have a conversation as a a contractor to a homeowner that says, hey, the cost to do nothing is more than to do something. And what we're seeing actually is about 80% of equipment needs service. And if you think about it, about 10% of equipment's on a service contract, so about 80% need service, about 40%, so about half of that number, is actually cost-effective for the homeowner to get the repair than to wait. So what we tell our, our partners is, hey, look, create a new kind of service offering. First tier is, hey, you're just going to monitor 24 hours a day, seven days a week, come when needed, right? Service the problem, let you know what's going on, give you a heads up as to when it's cost-effective to fix it. And you can charge a monthly fee for that. We charge you a monthly fee. And you know you make money every month as a contractor. On top of that, what we tell them is, hey, look, at, it allows you to go to the, like you're a home security company and say, look, at, I will include the cost of the installation and the equipment if you give me a three-year or five-year contract, which you can get out of at any time. And if you do, you pay for the hardware and you pay for the installation. So that way, the services con- uh, partner is, is always covered. Either just continue to make money into the future or they make their money back if somebody leaves, right, so they can get that, that, that fee. Then the second stage is to add that with maintenance and to say, look, at, I'm not going to come because the clock told me to. I'm going to come because the equipment does. If the equipment tells me I need to be there every three months. That's when I come. If the equipment tells me I need to be there every 18 months, that's when I come. I come whenever the equipment tells us it's needed. Right? And that actually improves the relationship with the consumer because the consumer doesn't want to over-service, doesn't want to overpay. In the same sense, it's kind of a challenge, right? You've got to take a day off of work in order to be home so somebody can work on your equipment. And so if it doesn't really need it, I don't want to take the day off. So it creates a much better relationship. And then I'll tell you, the first time you're driving down the street and your phone goes off and your furnace guy says, hey, your, your furnace just went out. You know, it's, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. You know, I've, I've ordered the part. I can be at your house at 4 o'clock today and it'll be regular time. Or you go home and figure it out at 7. The house is cold. Make dinner for the kids. It's still cold. Call me at 9. I complain about being there at 10. I'm going to charge you, you know, double time or triple time. Your choice,
0: right? Which would you rather pay for? It's
1: going to change the relationship between the services guys and the homeowners. And that's really the goal of the problem.
0: Yeah, and I, I I got to imagine if, if if they call you up and say, hey, you know what, you know, even if it's if it's not an imminent, it's like, hey, we're starting to see this. Um, it's something that you could plan for, and you know, obviously, you know, planned outages, you can, you know, say, hey, you know what, today or tomorrow doesn't work, but you know, Friday I only work a half day, so can you can you know fit me in then. So as as far as a consumer goes, they're able to kind of you know work it into their schedule, saying, you know, you know this going this is gonna work better for me.
1: Amen. Right. So I've got a sub pump in my basement and I'm home, you know, it's a one hour run to Home Depot, grab a new sub pump and do it myself. I'm a handy guy. Maybe I can do that. Maybe I can't. Right. I go off to China. Right. And you gave me a heads up that that pump needed to be replaced before I go off to China. I saved myself 26,000 bucks in a, you know, three and a half, four months of having a torn up house. Would have done it in a heartbeat. Right. So, you know, relating that back to the contract right when the contractor tells you that hey, the bearings are starting to go in your blower motor. Right. It, they're going to continue to work, cost you more money to run it. It's less effective, less efficient, but you know, you, you'll get another three months out of it. But it's a seven, $800 part, you know, the $1,200, you know, $1,200 to do the repair. You know, maybe, maybe uh, you can now plan. Maybe you can schedule right? we can fix, figure out a time that's convenient for you from, for me to come You can now start to save for it people don't often have lots of money to just line around for these things to break and it gives them planning time. Totally changes the relationship between the contractor and the homeowner.
0: Yeah. And I got to, I got to imagine too that if the contractor is the one initiating the, the call you know, it kind of saves the the homeowner, you know, I mean, obviously the homeowner doesn't have to look like, who, who do I need to call for this? It's the, the contractor says, Hey, Oh, I'll take care of this. So you, you kind of get that push pull relationship kind of turned around. And now all of a sudden the contractors, the one initiating the call and, and not sitting by the phone waiting for one. Hoping. Right. That and that's really exactly
1: chosen. Yeah, that, that's exactly what leads to our second way in which we see the product being sold today. So the first way I kind of outlined is, hey, you just pass the cost on to the consumer. The consumer pays for it, the peace of mind, right, and, um, and a security kind of thing. And there's a large percentage of the customers will pay for that. But now you're the contractor. Now envision what would be the world be like if you had this device in every house in, in the city, every house in your, in your geography. You would know where every problem is developing and you would know where every problem is on any given day. You'd be able to do people management, park management better, scheduling better, right? You'd be able to know that you're going to get the work because you're monitoring their house. You'd be able to know that, hey, you can give them a before report and after report and show them the data that actually says that they fixed it. You'd be able to show up and say, hey, your blower motor's why I'm here, but you're having a failure to ignite this many times. So I really think we should do some service as well. But if you choose not to, that's fine. But if I have to come back, which I think I will, you get to pay for a full service call. So you can eliminate callbacks that offer unrelated action that just happen to correlate in time. You can also do a before and after report on the repair to ensure that the technician got the job, figured out the right thing, and figured out the right repair. Right. So lots and lots and lots of value and benefit. What that implies then is maybe there's a value just to use it. Hey, look, I'm going to put this in every house. Wide because I'm going to get every job that it has, every house that has this, I'm going to get all their work. Every job that has this, when it comes time for them to replace their furnace, they're talking to me and not somebody else. Right? 65% of the lifetime value of a customer is in a replacement of a furnace or an air conditioner. And if you're the guy they call because you're the guy that's monitoring, you're going to get that work. Now there's decent profit in a replacement. Right? And so if you could get, you know, from 10% of your units that you repair, you know, to be replaced to 15%. Or if you can grow your customer base from 10,000 to 50,000, and you get all those replacements, you can see that the system gets paid for just by uh, the operational efficiencies and the new business and the new work. So what we see is we think that some customers will use this as, uh, hey, I'll pass the cost on to the consumer. And some customers will use this and say, hey, this allows me to scale and grow my business and make more profit per job. More jobs per day. I just make more money, so I'm going to put one in every house I can.
0: Now, obviously, we've talked a lot about contractors and being involved. What if, what if some just, you know, homeowners, you know, like you know people people listening um, who are relatively inclined to to know exactly what's what's up? Um, can they get their hands on you know one of your products? Apply it, and then and then watch, you know, watch you know the uh, um, the different analytics on a on a app or on a website.
1: So that's a great question. Uh, we've opted not to go direct to consumer, um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One is you have to kind of create a different kind of business to go direct to consumer. It's about all on you know e-commerce and it's about transactions. You know, could we do it? Yes. Have we thought about it for sure? But you know, the real value that we offer is to the service tech. If a service tech can see what's going on in your house, they can fix the job faster they can fix the job faster and charge the same amount of money, they make more profit per job. If they can do jobs faster, they can do more jobs per day. If you're doing more jobs per day at higher profit per job, you just make more money, right? So we think that the true value proposition is to the contractor, even though there is true value to the consumer. It's a win-win. So we do not sell direct. Um, what we are seeing, interestingly enough, and maybe this is a scary point, is that there are large IoT companies that want to own everything in the home that's IoT-related. And when you think of a large telecommunication company, they've approached us and say, hey, if I can get a life pulse in every house, I'll know where every failure is. I'll sell that to the services community. I'll create a reverse auction and take the lowest price and help the consumer get lower pricing as a result." Right? And what that does is that starts to disrupt the services market because all of a sudden the customers channel through these really large corporations that already have a monthly bill associated with the home. Right. And so, so we, you know, that's, that's an exciting market for us, but we really think that the value prop and the win win is if we go to the contractor who goes to the consumer.
0: Now I, I know that there are products out there that I've seen um, that do something, you know, similar, whether, whether they, and I, I guess not exactly what you're doing, um, but different things like you know monitoring just being connected into the you know the electrical system or there are different um, like valves that get put into you know the main uh, the water main of homes. Um, and I know a lot of a lot of those kind of companies are starting to work with insurance companies to actually get a, a benefit and a discount uh, because they are monitoring, or you know potential flooding and you know, like you talk about with the uh, the sump pump, you know is is that something that you've uh, investigated at all or that that um, has been tossed around?
1: It is. We we've talked to large insurance companies and reinsurers. Um, they are fully on board with this notion of offering a discount. What we're working with them on is is what percentage and what kind of savings will they find and. And that will drive the premium reduction. Interestingly enough, we've had some insurance companies tell us that, hey, look, if this saves us enough money, we could buy it and give it to every customer, right? Because it, our payouts will be lower, All right, If I can avoid flooded basements because you're monitoring sub pumps and, you know, it's a lot more money to repair the basement than the cost to replace the pump. You know, I can I create a national network of services companies to just make sure that every sub pump is working if they know it's not or if they know it's breaking. So there's, uh, there's definitely that. On the home warranty side, we've been approached by a lot of home warranty companies. And what their point is, is hey, look, at it. if we sell predictive maintenance, you know we'll give the work to the services guys, we'll see the problems. But for them, it's hey, as they see problems develop, some of these things are better to fix before they break. So if you can see a capacitor starting to go, maybe it's better to change out the capacitor before it in- impacts the, the blower motor. If you see the fan on an AC system starting to go, Maybe it's better to replace the fan before somebody misses it and the compressor gets impacted, right? And so that allows them to be all more proactive. And so they're looking at new kinds of home warranty policies as a result. So we see both angles there. And then we've also approached the utility side that says, hey, if I'm monitoring your equipment and can tell consumers that they're wasting electricity and they take action, but that's actually more effective than buying you know, a, a better-rated furnace or a better-rated piece of equipment, right? Because what we're seeing is actual waste and actual savings, and we can quantify that. So we want to get an Energy Star rating and have utility companies be able to offer rebates on the hardware if you go ahead and, and, and use it.
0: And, you know, if I'm a contractor listening to this, um, I know that you know. There's a couple couple different waves coming. Like, if I do not get on this, you know, predictive service kind of bandwagon, um, it's likely going to be larger companies that are being, you know, that are doing this. So they're gonna end up squeezing smaller companies out of it. You you may not have necessarily have a market to um to work with if you don't start doing this uh, as a, as a service.
1: I would totally agree with that comment. We have reached out to every HVAC company you know that we can and we're continuing to do that because we think that we can bring them true value and help them improve their performance or operations in their business, make them more profitable and help them give better service to their part and to their their end customers. Um, but I think the reality of what you're saying is actually very true that, that larger companies, and even disruptive companies, companies that are technology-focused or telecommunication-focused or IoT-focused, are thinking that, hey, if I can monitor every problem and know where problems are, I become the Google of replacement. I become the Google uh, uh, of of uh, repair. I can channel people to where I want and make margin in the middle. And that could disrupt the market. I'll give you an example in a tangential market where this happened, and you know just in it's not doing gloom, but it just opened people's eyes. There were two companies that, that hit the taxi market at the same time. One had 2 million customers in Europe, raised $175 million to go to New York City, and launched in New York City, and it was called UHail. And it was just a mobile app. Consumers could download. Whenever they wanted a taxi, they would hit a button, and they would distribute that to all the taxi cab drivers, and the taxi cab drivers would know that somebody's looking for a ride on that corner. And they would have to pay a small percentage commission pick them up and what the taxi cab drivers in New York said was hey I don't I don't need that I get plenty of jobs I don't want your technology I don't need anything do. at the same time Uber launched in New York where they said you know what anybody can be a cab driver if they know where the the, the job is and if we can eliminate the need to pass cash and if we know who the driver is and who the, the rider is we can make it safer you hail nine months later lost 175 million dollars and was gone uh, one year after Uber launched in New York City, the medallion for a taxi cab driver was valued when it started at $1.5 million. In order to be a good driver, you had to have a medallion, and it would cost you $1.5 million to buy that. They were going for about 300000 after Uber hit the market, $1.2 million and lost value. So that's just an example of where when the market didn't change, change came to the market. And I think this kind of technology is the same way. I, our preference, believe me, is to go right to the services guys because we think we can help them, help the consumer, and we think that's a win-win. But there are big companies that are going to come in and say, you know what, I can create a national chain if I, if I can solve some of the scaling issues of skilled labor. If I can train people to do very specific tasks and, and put together a team that monitors all houses in the country and helps people and, and looks for all the complex problems and I can better utilize national staff, I can crush it. Right, and all of a sudden you can get a lot of competition. So we do hope that the, the services market sees that and um, and starts to adapt the technology because it's there. Right.
0: Right. Now, obviously, if we look at the types of buildings that that are in the U.S., and I think this probably scales you know, worldwide, um, there's a lot of buildings that are on the small side. I mean, a lot of our building stock is you know you know, le- you, know tw- you know twenty thousand square feet, ten thousand square feet. Um, And the equipment for those uh, buildings is not much different than you would see in the residential market. So I guess what what's uh, as far as the can you explain, you know, are you making forays into like the light commercial market and what are those?
1: Yes, we are. So uh, when we first came out with our device, our, our, our IoT sensors, we, we specifically designed them for home and home use. And it was really 120-watt, amp. sorry, 120 15-amp uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of systems, right? Um, our new design um, allows us to do up to three-phase 400-amp. So we can, we can monitor one piece of equipment that's three-phase up to 400-amp, uh, there's four sensors in the device we could add four, potentially more sensors per device. And you can have as many devices in an, in an environment as you want. Um, we are looking for partners to help us go into the commercial markets. Um, we do need to develop some of the analytics. And so it'll, it'll be an evolutionary process where we'll partner, gather data, build the analytics, help the market. They'll so get visibility at first, and then we'll add the predictive capabilities as we go. So we do see that as a as a market. What I would tell you is today, our devices could help with anything the size of you know, a McDonald's or down or a, you know, a bank or down, right? all of that kind of commercial uh, property has overlapping equipment with the residential marketplace. So there is a, an element of the commercial space that we can help today, and when you get into larger buildings, uh, we, we intend to launch products soon that will allow us to go into those markets.
0: So, I, and I think you know the the point needs to be emphasized that you know the same conversation we had for residential markets and the service providers there now extends to the um, you know the light commercial and commercial markets, and I think that that one of those things. I mean, if you if you know anything about um, you know building automation. You can do a lot of things and identify trends and do something, you know, a lot of things that are very similar and use the inputs and outputs that the building automation has. But not only does it cost a lot of money, but it takes a lot of technical talent to be able to, um, you know, develop this as a service for your customers. But, you know, basically what you're providing is something that. Is it, all the all the thinking has already been taken out of it, so it's just in servicing your client and, and building that relationship and having that um, you know that that beneficial exchange um, for the for the clients.
1: Absolutely, And I, I want to be really clear. Right, we're never going to replace the services guys and and their brain power. What we're trying to do is provide them a better tool set to make better decisions and be able to make those decisions remotely rather than have to be on site to do all the analysis and and the in, to your to your point, um, you know our goal is to make it as simple as possible to leverage the technology. Right? We want to make it so that hey, if you can plug in a headphone jack, you can connect our sensors. If you can install a mobile app and type in the Wi-Fi password, you know you can deploy that asset. If you can open up a web page, you know and read a graph, you'll be able to tell exactly what's going on with a piece of equipment. If, you know, so so what we think is, is is, and our our goal is is to make it as simple as possible to consume, but to get that information into people who understand the equipment really well, and just give them this as another tool that helps them really understand it. I'll give you an example of a market that's also developing. It's exciting, and that's the um, uh, home inspection market. Right? What we're working with them on is, hey, you connect our, our system to a furnace or to an air conditioner, run it for three days, and we'll do an analysis and let you know what's going on with that equipment. Today, what they do is they look at it and say, hey, look at that. you got a furnace. And they open up the door and they say, look at that. It's a good furnace. Really, what else can they do? Right? Now, what we'll be able to do is analyze that furnace and we'll say, hey, you know what? We think this furnace was well-maintained. Or, hey, this furnace has got a lot of issues. And that will help the consumer because it's a $5,000 ticket item. And I'll give you an example on that. You know, it's a, I, bought, I just bought a house in Pittsburgh when I relocated for lifewear. been here two years. The problem that was on the docket that we asked them to clear uh, when we did the first sale was that there appeared to be a Freon leak from the air conditioner. And they said they addressed it. And so we didn't think anything of it. And when we got the house, what we realized three months later when it was hot out was that they didn't fix it, really. And what the real problem was, the coil was gone. And we had to replace the whole unit. It cost me $5,000. Now that was $5,000 that I did not expect, right? Shame on me. And I got, that was again, one of those examples where I said, geez, if I just had this product, I could have passed that $5,000 cost on to the seller. So we think that, you know, that's another example where our technology can help in, the, in, in this market and improve the whole market experience.
0: Excellent. So I guess if, if people are, you know, obviously, you know, you're, you're going through the, you know, the contractors and the service providers um, and that's, then that's, you know, the way you're going to market. But if people are interested in learning uh, more about it or finding a service provider, um, that could install it in their house, if this is something that they've, they've wanted, how, how would they go about doing that?
1: Yeah. So they're interested. They come to our website, www.lifeware.com. It's l i f e w h uh, e r E.com. And, um, uh, and we're also, you know, liked about the podcast. If, if anybody comes to LifeWare.com slash HVAC360, we'll give them a 10% discount on the evaluation. We have a complete evaluation uh, product where they get a certain number of devices and a certain amount of training over a certain period of time.
0: Excellent. Any any last thoughts that you have?
1: Uh, you know, I, I, think, um, I think this is one of those moments where things are going to change. And You know, I think the commercial market is a lot more technical savvy. And I think that, you know, our technology or technologies like ours are going to be a natural fit and will be uh, adopted there. I think in the light commercial residential market, I don't think anybody's truly targeted them with innovation. Yeah, they can get a scheduler that's better. Or, yeah, they may be able to get some truck automation for route automation. Or maybe they'll get a, a furnace that has a better blower motor or an easier to change part. Right? But nobody's really kind of said, hey, how do we help these guys make more money and be more effective and, and get maybe more 9-to-5 instead of 5-to-9 kind of work? And life, where is that? And what's a challenge is, is we compete with a do-nothing. We compete with a, this sounds really, really exciting, but I'm not sure I want to learn. And all I would bring you back to is that you hail slash Uber example. It's like, it's okay if you don't want to learn, but somebody else will, and that's going to impact your business. So I think that this is one of those moments where there's some disruptive technology and people just really need to get a call to action so that the action doesn't happen to them. And we try to make it as simple as possible to use, as simple as possible to install. We train, we help. We never leave you alone. Right, We're there all the time to help you be successful and just keep that in mind as you're thinking about, you know, whether this kind of technology is for your business
0: or not. All right. Well, you know, Brian, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on the podcast and thanks for talking with us.
1: Thanks, Matt. I really enjoy it. I appreciate you giving us the
0: opportunity. <laughs> All right, thanks again to Brian Courtney for taking the time to chat with us. Check out the show notes for the links and things mentioned in the interview, including the discount code LifeWare.com slash HVAC360. Uh, You can find all those show notes on HVAC360.com slash 124. (laughs) And and for the record, I didn't know that he was going to hand out a discount code, but hey, you know what? More power to you if you can get uh, you can get money off on this and it helps you. That is fantastic. All right, well, thanks so much for listening. I hope this is helpful. If you know somebody who might need this kind of information or, or is interested in uh, in doing this, pass this episode along. That's a, a great way to help grow our audience. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, consider joining the community of people just like you over at hvac360.com and get some more weekly goodness in. Uh, in addition to this podcast. Lastly, it would be a ton of good uh, if you would consider leaving me a rating review on Apple Podcast. It really does help spread the word. Um, as a bonus, remember that if you normally listen to the show uh, through a, a podcast feed, um, we are also, uh, all the new episodes are being posted on YouTube. So if you go there hit subscribe, um, that would definitely help me uh, out, and it gives me a couple of different things once I reach a certain number of subscribers. So I, every every subscriber really does count. If you go over there to uh, youtube.com, look for HVAC 360, and we can, uh, we can get that going. So that's a wrap for this episode of HVAC 360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you beat the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know.